Good evening, Patriots. And it is an interesting night. It's Thursday, April 21st, in the year 2022. And it is still the same date as it was earlier, as it is about every night. You want things to, you just wonder how much crazier things you're going to get. I've got some crazy clips to play for you tonight. It's shaking my head. But it's where we are. Before we begin, make sure you're getting good sleep. Sleep is essential. And keeping yourself strong in your sleep helps keep your immune system strong, keeps your body healthy. All adds to your overall body health and, in another way, a spiritual nutrition, so to speak. And you can get great products to sleep on, like Giza Cotton Sheets and Classic My Pillow at MyPillow.com. So head on over to MyPillow.com forward slash Bards. That's the Bards Nation's landing page. It's the place that features all the latest specials. And it's a very great honor to have that page over on MyPillow. Thanks to all you great patriots. MyPillow is the place for some of the best products on the market for sleep. And it's products that you won't, that are high quality, great value, and led by one of America's great CEOs, Mike Lindell. So head on over to MyPillow.com forward slash Bards. Use your promo code Bards, B-A-R-D-S. Take advantage of the great savings, like 60% off on, on Giza cotton sheets. MyPillow's down as low as 1998. That's the classic. They have a new pillow, the Giza cotton uh, pillow. They've got comforters. They have mattress toppers, mattresses, all with great discounts when you use your when you use your promo code. And if you want to call and talk to a real person, call 800-975-2939, 800-975-2939, and use your promo code BARDS there as well, and they'll get you hooked up. So remember, you can use it anywhere on the MyPillow site, the Frank Speech site, and the MyStore site. That's MyPillow.com forward slash BARDS, promo code BARDS. I like this verse. I was just going over it. It's Proverbs. 27, 34 to 35, be sure you know the conditions of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. I think it's a real reminder to all of us at what's always at stake. There's a sense of vigilance that is always on us. And I speak of this many times of how it, just the complacency of so many things these days, which really is so endemic in our society now. You get a job and you stack up money, you put it in your 401k, everything's about creating this sort of artificial security. In churches we see, in, in many churches we see the idea of once we're saved, then it's just a matter of just living a good life and that's it and get through life and then we're going to be dancing around on golden streets with eating pizza parties and, and spaghetti. There's literally a song for kids, and I'm not kidding about this. One of the Christian groups was singing a song for kids about accepting Jesus so that we could all get together and have pizza parties and spaghetti fests. And I was like, man, what, what type of twisted stuff is this? We're not teaching that sort of vigilance, which is where Proverbs, this Proverbs verse strikes out. And to read that again, be sure you know the conditions of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, 
and a crown is not secure for all generations. When I read that passage, it reminds me very much of the introduction, the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, which ultimately gives us the authority and the duty, not just the authority, but the duty to overthrow tyranny because nothing is forever, especially if we don't tend to it. And if we don't tend to the responsibility of what that means, then things are going to ultimately fall apart. And I think when we're reminded of that in Scripture, it's very real on many, many levels. We have judgment of nations and judgment of individuals, and right now we're in the middle of the judgment of nations, and that's in the Valley of Decision. Let's take a listen to this piece here. This is, um, (laughs) all I can say is get your prayers ready, because this is some crazy right here. I don't know if I was clear the first time when I said it, so I'll be clear again this time. My gender is... And my pronouns pronouns are... Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I command you to leave these people on TikTok alone. Boy, Satan took over... I think I heard... See, now I'm, now I'm starting to hear stuff after watching that video. And I'm in this house by myself. I'm not, to, I'm not, about, I'm not to leave. I'm not about to be here by, by myself. I'm not about to be here by myself after watching that video. <laughs> Satan then clearly took over somebody. So, Lord Jesus, please say these people take the wheel. Oh, my God. Let me go. There is seriously some, there is some sick stuff going on here. And, I mean, I, I laughed at that piece. But at the same time, man, like that sound. That's like something right out of like Alien or something. This person's like totally whacked. But I don't think it's just whacked. I mean, there's some serious crazy going on. Listen to this one. This is just, I'm just shaking my head at this one. Just when you think MSNBC can't get worse, they go after Jesus. In what appears to be some kind of awful defense for those who oppose the Florida Parental Rights Bill, former Bush advisor and current MSNBC contributor Matthew Dowd says that if Jesus Christ were alive today, people might call him a groomer. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to play the clip in between my fast talking here. If Jesus Christ was alive today, he would be called a groomer, he would be called woke, and he would be called a socialist. Excuse me, Jesus Christ would be woke, Jesus would be a groomer. I guess I missed the part in the Bible when Jesus Christ asked the little children what gender they felt physically attracted to. The term groomer is so specific. We don't use it to describe someone who offers us grace or comfort. It's not related to tolerance or compassion. It is very specifically related to adults who groom children for sexual relationships that would not be condoned by Jesus. Honestly, if you're going to talk about it, please read the book. Yeah, that'd be good. The guy who who gave that little talk about Jesus was an altar boy. Seriously. So I can only imagine what type of grooming he had he was subjected to in the Catholic Church. There is some real sickness out here. And, you know, I've said this before, and, and if you're Catholic, I'm going to probably step on your toes tonight. And I really don't make apologies when I say this because the king of hiding pedophiles within the ranks of the church comes from the Catholic Church. And I've never understood how it's been so accepted. And it's it's really kind of a dual-edged thing here. People don't want to believe that it happened, so they don't want to listen to the children when it did happen. That's the older way. And then when it comes out in court and it's all over the place, Dan Gaddy is an Oregon attorney who took on the Catholic Church and won for grooming kids. And so when you have 
an attorney come out, and that's just one of many, that had made this a national public issue. And still, nothing said publicly in the church. It's like everybody wants to brush it under the rug. Now, Catholics aren't exclude, aren't the exclusive ones here. I mean, how many people, and I mean this, if you haven't checked into this, do. I would be surprised how many Baptists know the big pedophile and child sex trafficking ring they broke up about two or three years ago. Actually, it goes back to 20, I want to say it's 2018 or 2019. And that went from Texas all the way to Florida. And there was hardly a peep said about that. And, of course, the churches don't talk about it. And the issue, the issue is why. We have a critical problem in this nation of valuing what God told us to protect and value. It's bad enough in a nation that we dump our parents and dump them off into old folks' home, and it's and it really becomes commonplace. Oh, mom's at a retirement home now. Oh, mom and dad are at an old folks' home. It's like in this climate especially, that's a death sentence. And there just isn't the value of understanding the importance of having the parents around and have the extended family. We, we've built into our culture the idea that as soon as we get older, we all, no matter what your relationship with your kids, are going to be cast off. And somehow we accept that as normal. And we teach that to the children because they witness it instead of having the inner relationship with parents around. So that's bad enough. And then we get to the other side of this, which is the children. And we have just kind of mainstreamed a whole bunch of ideas like, okay, let's start with the 60s. And yeah, it's cool. We can all take birth control and have as much sex as we want. And then in the process, in the process, we'll go through this. By the way, I don't know if women know this, but it, it is it causes it can cause permanent fertility damage when you take it for extended periods of time. Then we have the abortion piece of that, which is just disgusting. Overall, just crazy. And it just we just have these things that continue on and on. So we have got to reset values in this nation. And part of resetting values is as is in Proverbs. 27, 34 to 45. Be sure you know the conditions of your flocks. Be careful. Give careful attention to your herds. For the riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. That is super important in where we are right now because we're coming to the realization that all this greatness that we were supposed to have as a nation, it's fading quick. Buying power is declining, the dollar sliding. You know, I mean, I listened to a clip earlier. I'm still trying to get my head around this one. Matter of fact, I think, I think I'll just play it because I, like I said, I'm just, I'm still literally trying to get my head around this particular clip and I'll just let you listen to it. It's one of these. Just achievements was getting the vaccine done in nine months instead of five and a half to 12 years. But the problem is, you know, we save tens of millions of lives all over the world, but I can't talk about it because our base, our beautiful base of which some of you are there, you get angry when we mention the word vaccine. Don't get angry. We did it in nine months, less than nine months, right? Less than nine months. And frankly, uh, a lot of people are living today because of that. So I'll talk about it. You know, I think the other side actually poisoned people on it because they want to try and take credit. Remember when Biden said, oh, I, he didn't come up with a vaccine, except he got a shot two months before he said that. 
He said, sir, you've already been given the — even his own side stopped him on that one. But we did a great job on that, and it's uh, very important, and I'm very proud of it. Think of it. Nine months, we pushed the FDA. They hate me so much. They hate me. They cannot hate anybody as much as they hate me. But we had to get them to move, and we did. And worldwide, millions and millions in this country, millions and millions of lives, we obliterated. Yeah, 440,000 dead and about 1.2 million. Actually, I think it's closer to 2 million now, vax damaged. I, I just don't, I can't even relate to that level of twisted thinking. I can't relate to that upside down issue here. I mean, I whatever they gave him in the vax apparently did its job. They've got him under control of 5G or something. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to, but it's crazy. The world we live in is a world of inversion. And it is all around us. And literally, and the responsibility of the watcher on the wall is to call it out. And and this is, and I know sometimes who, there are people that come to this channel and they're like, oh, this is bad. He doesn't like Trump. Look, I'm just, I'm simply following scripture, to be blunt. And I'm not going to be obedient to lies. Ezekiel 3, 17 to 21. So I, son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you do not, do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from, this, from his wicked way, that he may live, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require on your head or on your hand. I mean, it, it, we have an obligation to, to take these people to task. I don't care who they are. And the problem is there's a delusional base. I mean, the comment under this post is stunning to me. And it, this is what it reads. This is probably one of the Q folks. There you have it. POTUS indirectly confirmed why the vaccines were necessary. POTUS addressed his base not to get angry. Otherwise, the deaths would have been much more he didn't finish his sentence, but he said, we'll talk about it. So they've already logically assumed that the deaths are okay. This irrational thinking is stunning to me. It's okay that we had deaths. We just, we would have had more, but 440,000, I guess, is okay. And it may be higher. It's a, it's a world of deception. It's a world of inversion. That's what this is. And there's a lot of this going on, but I can get right to the core of why it's going on. Listen to this piece. It's two minutes, 45 seconds. A lot happens, a lot, a lot of fast talking about certain origins of, of CRT, but listen to critical, this discussion on critical race theory, and it kind of gets, and then pay attention to the end, and we'll, we'll get right back to it here in a minute. Two minutes, 45 seconds. Um, I'm hoping that you could explain without using a single buzzword or a conservative talking point what CRT is. So you want to go back to Herbert Marcuse, the Frankfurt School, Michel Foucault, Jacques Derrida, one-dimensional man? I want you to answer man. my question. No, I'm just asking you how far back do you want me to go? I want you to explain what CRT is. What CRT is comes out of critical theory, which came out of the Frankfurt School, which is a belief that there are systems that exist 
both institutionally and systemically, and that through critical theory, which also has critical law theory, through the kind of the changing of how we view society must be through a racial lens and not through an economic lens or through a legal lens. And if you look very clearly at the writings of Marcuse, at the writings of Spinoza, especially in the early 1990s where this started to pop up, there was this idea that we must give preference based on the melanin content of people's skin, not on actions, not on choices, and instead, because America's so unequal, because it is so inequitable, that these writers and authors that were the beginning people that actually started this term critical race theory 50 or 60 years ago, believe that this would be a true Marxist-type movement that would help happen in this country. It was kind of fostered and started in many different universities across this country. Marcuse came from the Frankfurt School. One of his disciples is still alive, Angela Davis. And it really kind of comes back to the couple beliefs that CRT believes in, to make it overly simple. Number one, that there is no such thing as absolute truth. That number two, power dynamics are more important than anything else. Number three, skin color should be something that has a top priority in how we characterize people and their worth and their dignity. Number four, that kind of American history and kind of how we teach it is completely wrong. Five, that America is systemically racist, and I could continue from that. That right there is a 35,000-foot view. Happy to go deeper, um, but that is the history of critical race theory, and it's evolved into terms of wokeism, diversity, equity, inclusion, the idea of America being systemically racist, 1619 Project. They're all outgrowths of the postmodern deconstructionist-type viewpoint that started in the 1960s from Marcuse, who was a Marxist-type believer in the Frankfurt School, was expelled, found domicile here in America, and implemented in our colleges. How'd I do? I, I do appreciate that response. Thank you. Um, you did use the word wokeism, which is a conservative buzzword, unfortunately. I'm going to oh. take my seat. Thank you. How about this? How about this? Garbage. Yeah, how about that? That's a perfect word for it. This is the problem we have with this ideological group that's walked away from God. They've walked away from reason. They've walked away from the principles of knowledge and wisdom. And they've instead inculcated and indoctrinated themselves into a place where it's an all or nothing world. That's this hive mind. And they have accepted the concept in the definition of CRT that the color of a person's skin is more important than anything else they do. It's stunning. And, of course, right now, that flavor that they're pushing, and she's white, by the way, wearing a mask up to her eyeballs, is that the black race is superior to everybody else and is actually underdeveloped because of the white race. This is the sort of stuff they're putting out there. So they believe in this, and then from this, of course, you understand that we get to queer theory, which is QT. And queer theory, after they attack and, and brutalize the children, and they do it subtly, of course, like good pedophiles do, good groomers do. They wear the children down, the particularly white Christian children. That's the target, because that's the war right now. And they go after this, and they get them feeling guilty about being of the, quote, white race. Last time I checked, I don't think God had things divided in the world by according to skin color. But, you know, what do I know? It's just not in the Bible, so who knows? But um, they once they wear that down, they then 
start presenting this queer theory stuff, which is a child is now feeling guilty about themselves being white. They feel guilty about being privileged because of their parents or whatever. And so this is where this is such a, it's, it's quite, I'm using the term in a, in a bad way, but in a good way. I mean, when I say this, that's a weird way of saying it. This is a brilliant strategy to destroy a culture. Let me just put it like this. Because the teachers are buying into this. Teachers that are pushing this theory, some of them are just hand puppets. They don't even think for themselves. It becomes an obsession for them to teach children and to open the door for children to now being able to learn about other genders. But the best part is about this whole thing, as a good groomer does, is that they go in and they they will then tell the child that, well, we can keep it our secret. That's exactly what a child rapist does. That's exactly what a pedophile does. That's exactly what a groomer does. We can keep it as our secret in the classroom, in this room, as secret to us. And you can, you can come to class, and if you feel like a young girl, you can dress as a young girl because I have clothes over here, or I'll identify you by pronouns. That's how they do this. And they destroy the nuclear family. Because once this gets into the children and it gets in, embedded in them, it's like inoculating them, injecting them with a virus. This is the true silent enemy. Once it gets in them, now the parents have to go through a deprogramming, and it's almost impossible. I'm not going to say it, that can't happen, but the child, the longer the child stays into these groomer camps, which is all schools are anymore, the more that they are going to be inoculated into this idea that gender is plural and that they can choose whatever they want. It's completely antithetical to anything science, true science, and anything that we understand about this world. But these people rationalize it because they see gender as a cultural issue because what's on your outside doesn't necessarily align with what's on your inside emotionally. That's how they're doing this. All of this is at the center point of being all of this is center to the idea of destroying a culture and putting it under communist rule. By the way, he mentioned Angela Davis, also known as Angela Yvonne Davis, who was known alias as Tamu, and she was at one point wanted by the FBI for murder and kidnapping. That, war that warrant was originally issued on August 15th, 1970, out of San Francisco. This is the caliber of people that have designed this whole program. And she, too, studied at the Frankfurt School. Here's the interesting part. I studied with, I studied much of the Frankfurt School. I studied with somebody. One of my advisors was a student of the Frankfurt School, not like these crazies. So what I'm getting at is I've read most everything he mentioned in that little spiel, I've read something of, and guaranteed that young lady that sat over there that was asking the question probably haven't hasn't read any of it. She just knows the names. And I came out being more conservative than ever after I got through with that indoctrination because I realized how stupid stupid these people were. And they are; they're completely retarded. So why all this is happening? You've got the CRT thing going. You got the groomer thing going. You've got the possessions going on over here in people, which is real. But here's what is very real. 
USDA planting report showing in the U.S. how acreage is being reduced on corn. And we're seeing this around the world where acres are coming out of production or less fertilizers being used, which means less foods being made. So everything that we predicted, I mean, this is a slow train, a Titanic into the iceberg that we're watching right now. And it's going to continue for nine to 18 months. Nine to 18 months. That's a long time to watch the slow decline of the food supply, which is at the core of this. And, and why is that all important? Because at the end of the day, it is my opinion that this is God's hand moving as the great leveler. And you can look at it however you want, but it's really amazing to me because I'll tell you all this nonsense about race and this garbage about grooming and this nonsense about whatever else they're putting out here, which is queer theory, this whole thing gets wiped out when you can't eat. So I would just say this. For those out there that are interested in grooming and and, uh, you want to play your games, don't come knocking at my door for a bowl of rice because it ain't happening. There's, There's a line here that we have to learn to we have to appreciate, and it's what I keep talking about in terms of a martial, what I would call a martial side of Christ and the martial side of faith, which I don't think we honor enough. And so I want to read you something here. I, I did read it today uh, for Bended Knee, and I'm going to go through it here. I find this really good, and it's a comparison to what is called, which Jesus do you follow? And it's the biblical Jesus or the modern Jesus. Now we know that through a lot of the churches and the influence of this sort of Unitarian influence, this sort of New Age influence, we've seen a complete moderation to where Jesus was and to where they want it to be today because this is the softening of faith to move all faith towards a universal religion. So listen to these because this is really good. All right, so the biblical Jesus, born as God Almighty in the flesh. The modern Jesus was a good teacher and a man. So remember, the modern is the way that's being interpreted, not as an actual. And I think what you'll find here pretty quick, what this you'll see what the image of the modern Jesus is, is really as we get through with this. The biblical Jesus loves us enough to speak the truth. All of these things that you're going to hear on the biblical Jesus is strength, is warrior, is strong, is hardline. Modern Jesus waters down words to avoid offense. Biblical Jesus points us towards eternal treasure. Modern Jesus promises us earthly treasure. Biblical Jesus warns of sin, judgment, and hell. Modern Jesus sends all to heaven, dismisses hell. Boy, I'll tell you, that one right there you can find in a lot of churches today. That once you are forgiven, all is good. All you have to do is do your little dance, and away you go. Get the little dunk in the pool, and you're going to heaven, and there'll be no more hell. I run into this all the time, and I absolutely push back on it because that is not the way Scripture reads. Biblical Jesus commands repentance of sins. Modern Jesus, minimize need for repentance of sins. Biblical Jesus, gives you salvation, hope, peace, and joy. 
Modern Jesus gives you health, wealth, and happiness. That's a great one because that ties into health uh, Health insurance as a universal or as a uh, humanitarian need or something like this they're pushing for now. Biblical Jesus, hated and despised by the world. Modern Jesus, loved and accepted by the world. And you've seen this. You've seen these perceptions. Hates sin. My biblical Jesus hates sin and exposes the truth about sin. Modern Jesus overlooks sin and never corrects you. Biblical Jesus commands with divine authority. Modern Jesus gives suggestions, not commandments. Biblical Jesus says to expect persecution in his name. Modern Jesus promises our best life now. So much New Age garbage in this modern version. And it's not Jesus, obviously. I'm just using that term. Biblical Jesus brings division when necessary. This is so important. This is so important. I'm going to read this again. Biblical Jesus brings division when necessary. Modern Jesus promotes unity and tolerance at all costs. That line right there, that sums up so much of the pastoring that goes on these days, that we all need to get along. We all need to come together. We all need to give ourselves a hug. Wow, I'm telling you, it's just, it's so much distortion going on. Biblical Jesus exalts God that Father's will. Exalts, excuse me, exalts God the Father's will. Modern Jesus serves your will above God's will. Biblical Jesus warns of false signs and wonders, magnifies God's word. Modern Jesus exalts signs, wonders, and mysticism above God's word. Biblical Jesus demands the emotional experience and opinion conform to and opinion conform to sound teaching. Modern Jesus exalts emotion, experience, and opinion above sound teaching. And finally, biblical Jesus commands you to deny yourself and be willing to lay down your life for God. Modern Jesus encourages to love yourself first and gratify all of your fleshly desires. Kind of like the whole LGBTQ movement. I really like this piece because you've heard me talk about the martial side of faith. And the martial side with faith, when however you want to formulate this, but if we just look at it from a spiritual sense and talk about the sword of the spirit, that's a very decisive action. It's a very powerful wielding, and it is not to be taken lightly. Words have life, carry life and death. And it is a very martial sense of who we are because it's disciplined. It's looking at the world as there is a right and a wrong. There is a line you do not cross. There are things you do not accept. And that has been hard in my experience. I'll speak from my experience. What I have encountered is uh, over time, there has been always resistance to that idea because it's always this sort of mush Jesus that's been taught. This sort of mush image of like, no, Jesus would love everyone. No, Jesus would do this. Jesus spoke in parables knowing and openly said, they're not going to understand me. He didn't waste his time. I mean, you look at where he was when he came down to pray and they came to him. Master, master, where have you been? We've been looking for you. And he says, we must move on to the next village. So I must complete what I came out to do. Paraphrasing. 
And he leaves those waiting for him behind in the village. And they're sitting there like, hey, where's Jesus coming? And they're waiting for him. And then he's just like, let's move on. He is not going to waste time for idolatry. He's not wasting time for people to like hang on to him. I mean, look at how aware he is of his circumstances. When the woman comes up and touches his robe from behind, and he turns around and says, who touched me? There's a very, like, what we see with that moment is he gives out healing, but it's very specific. It's not just for anybody to grab onto and grab. So there is a very defined warrior in him, very intentful for how he walks and what he does. And he, he doesn't mess around. You know, I'm sure that Jesus had a human, I mean, an enjoyable experience with his disciples. I have no doubt about that. I, it's obvious that he enjoyed his conversations with tax collectors and prostitutes. But he also said very clearly, and, I, and I'm always taken by this comment, that it would be better to have a millstone around their neck than for father to find out, find those that harmed the little ones. That's a pretty intense statement. And it is not pretty intense. It is intense. He's telling you, if you would harm the children, you would be better off thrown to a lake, thrown with a millstone around your neck and drowned to death than letting Father get hold of you. That should give us all the scale of wrath that we're talking about in the protection of children if you screw with them. Jesus flipped tables. Jesus pulled out a whip. And I don't overemphasize those points to try to build out some sort of ferocious man. He was an amazing human. As he walked in flesh, he was amazing. Obviously, he had incredible presence. He had incredible compassion. But he also understood his mission. He, he was very clear. He wasn't going to waste time with pettiness. And he sure as heck wasn't gonna, he was not going to tolerate these pedophiles. So as we tend to walk in that path of Jesus, and I say this because we, I think if we mischaracterize what we're doing, there's going to be this very new agey experience that comes out of this. And if you haven't run into this, try to seek it out because it's kind of, it's always a little bit crazy to witness, but it's memorable. That's all I can say. But when you find these people that are wrapped around this new agey concept, it'll always be like, oh, let's all get along. Okay. Can we hold hands now and let's just let's just have a moment of silence? And uh, oh, and, and you're going to hear this sort of talk too. It's going to be like, oh yes, I know, I, I I I'm not I'm not upset. Um, I just need to respect you as a person to understand you better because if I understand you better, it is the fakest, dumbest thing in the world. And I I'll be honest. I mean, every time I encounter it, I want to throat punch him because it's not real. And you can see this veneer that's put over people of this veneer of, I love everybody. I'm going to get along. We're all going to get together and we're going to have a happy world now. There's no connection to reality. I mean, people get along fairly well, but we're all unique. And where you get along best is when you're working hard and you're tilling the land and you're building things with your hands, like building buildings, building houses, whatever, welding, working on your rig, whatever that is. When we're doing things as we should be, 
we're engaged. But there's so much of this generation and so much about this world right now that lives its life through these ideas that don't ever have application. That's half of our problem. When Occupy was in Portland, and that goes back to, I think, 2012, if I'm not mistaken. I could be off. Um, and it, whenever the Occupy movement was, so I'm, it was all over the country, but it was in Portland, Oregon, and I was there at the time. And being that I was working in counterinsurgency and I was working in these ideas of influence for the Department of Defense, I simply called up and said, hey, I'm since I'm in Portland, I'd like to do a study and just be able to do some observations here. And they're like, yeah, take advantage of it. Go to it. So I did. And it was really amazing to talk to the police department. At that time, Portland police was really doing some good stuff. I really liked the officers down there too, good officers. And they had an idiot mayor, but the union was stood up to the mayor and kind of crushed him. But literally... So here was this sort of real-life experience. So Occupy's idea was that they were going to have the perfect democracy. So they would have a group meeting, and they would start talking about events. And if you remember back in Occupy, the all of this I'm going to get to here is about application in the real world. If you remember about Occupy, they got accused of embezzling money out of New York, that they were given huge donations, but they weren't spending it and the money wasn't going to the use it was intended. And the reason for that wasn't what people thought. The core of the problem with Occupy was they were, in, they were not capable of making a decision. They had set up this perfect democracy where everybody had a vote and then they had this thing they took from, I think, Native American culture, if I'm not mistaken. It was called this talking stick. So as long as you held the talking stick, you could talk and everybody would listen and then you'd pass the talking stick on to somebody else whatever. But this is how they would run. So let's say that all of us are sitting here in a meeting and they're talking and they're bringing you up to date of the events. And a couple of people walk in and they're like, we don't know what's going on. And they'll, <laughs> they're not taking any notes. This is epic right here. So they'd be like, okay. So they'll stop the whole meeting and they'll start over and they'll start moving forward to educate those that were new. And then some new people would come in and then be like, okay, we'll start over. And this thing was like a, a dishwasher cycle. It just keeps going around and around and around. So they literally did not understand how to run a meeting. So one of the things the Portland police did literally is they put guys on the ground to help them understand how to make decisions. I'm not kidding about this. They coached them on how to run a meeting. They had another thing where they they hung up a bunch of stuff on a tree, an old tree, right near where Antifa burned down the elk and melted the bronze elk that was in Portland that is there no more. And they hung all this stuff on the tree, and the, and the city arborist had to warn them. They said, if this continues, that tree is going to die. So they literally went in and sat down with these people, and they're like, okay, you do understand that if you continue to hang stuff on the people, the tree's going to die. And they're like, yes, but we're standing against the man. And they're like, okay, that's fine. If that's what you want to do. But here's the deal. If that tree dies, I will guarantee you the city of Portland will tell us to clean you out and we'll come in here with full force and kick your tail out of here violently. And so they're like, oh, well, how come you, I mean, literally it was like, how come you would do that? Because you violated a rule and because you're an idiot, because you're going to kill a tree. 
oh, okay, okay, we'll take that under consideration. And then they would be like, okay, that was a pretty good idea. We, I think we don't want to harm the tree. They don't have any idea of consequence. When they would, the Portland police would go through and they would keep track of how long people were sitting idle in the camps, and the camps were everywhere. By the way, when they cleared out a two-block section of, of this, two-block section, when they finally got everybody out of there, it took 30 dumpster, massive dumpsters, 30 massive dumpsters dumpsters filled to get all their crap out of that, those parks. And those parks were closed down for a year while they rebuilt them and replanted them. They smelled like sewer when they were done. So the last part of the story, they were, they would have the Occupy people all, they would go through and keep track of what Occupy people, which was everybody <laughs> that would be sitting there and they would sit idle for days. And of course, when you have idle hands, you get trouble. So then the Portland police would go in and they talk to the Occupy leadership and they're like, I think, what do you guys think about doing a, uh, doing a march? And you're like, what? You mean we can do a march? You're like, you know what? We'll even do better than that. We'll help you plan the march. And they're like, we don't want any police around. They're like, no problem. We'll we'll teach you how to have road guards. So give us a, how far do you want to go? And so the Antifa would typically, not Antifa, should be, it, Occupy would come up and say, well, we want to do like, for example, a mile. And Portland police, the guys had already calculated how long they needed to do the march to get everybody out of the camp, to get everybody exercising. So they like, how about if you go like this extra three miles and we'll give you the authorization and you can go talk to these businesses. And they're like, oh, good idea, good idea. And he's like, okay. And they would drain the camp. So everyone would get out and walk and then it gave them a chance to go in and sweep for drugs and stuff. Oh, these kids, they're just dumb. This is literally how they operate. And this is the generation now that's out here leading CRT that's infected our schools. It's all of these people. And they are just seeking. And so much of the problem of all of this is that they're seeking, and my opinion, but I think I'm right on this, they they are seeking to have a relationship with something, someone who loves them. And that relationship that they try to find is to fix the problems that they have within them by turning to each other, and they're all broken, every one of them. The sad part is that all of this is fixed through Jesus, but the only Jesus they know is this modern Jesus that promotes unity and tolerance at all costs, promises our best life is now, this garbage which doesn't even exist in the Bible. And that's ultimately the fault of a broken church system, a broken outreach, and the responsibility ultimately falls on us now that are awake and we're, we're understanding the power of what we have before us and our commitment to Father. And we have to be out as much as we can whenever the opportunity arises to sow our seeds. Operation sowing seeds. It's not just garden seeds, it's spiritual seeds. And we need to be out there sowing seeds because these kids are broken in many ways. They're broken from broken homes. They're broken from ideologies in school. They're broken from being groomed and abused. I mean, there's a lot of broken people right now, and they're all seeking to heal. They're seeking to find a better world, to make a better world. They're not all evil. In fact, not even all Antifa are evil. There's some that are dirtbag evil, but that's another subject. 
And what's missing in their life is a real relationship with a real biblical Jesus. And if we can get that going in one way or another, they'll be snapped around. And they will. But that takes a lot of work. And it takes a lot of work that ultimately falls on us. And that goes back to that famous quote that I repeat all the time from the Irish Prime Minister. Never will so much be asked of so few by so many. So just some things to think about tonight. Let's pray. Father, we are so blessed to be here. And it's really blessed to have such amazing and beautiful relationship with you as the door is open. And Jesus is such an amazing and intimate relationship with you. We are not living in this world of illusion like so many are. And sadly, we have, we, as we continue to see our world, we just see how many people are missing that closeness and that intimacy with Jesus. So Jesus, we just put it before you tonight. Lead us as you will. Guide us to those points where we can have those interactions to touch hearts, to touch souls, and to let you shine through us and let you heal the many. There are many who just need that intimate, loving relationship with you that gives them strength, fearlessness, and truly breaks down this sort of dark hatred, this dark goo that's flooded into their hearts. We pray for the many. There are, there are many, many souls out here wandering, and the work to get to them isn't easy. But wherever opportunity arises, guide us, lead us, give us the words, give us the moment, give us the strength to just speak what needs to be spoken, to be as we need to be, to give them an eye-opening experience of the power of all that you are through with, within us and out, out and through us. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So, Patriots, hope you have a very blessed evening. This is a really amazing time we are living in that we're witnessing right now. We're seeing the world so clearly. And it just continues to get more clear each and every day. That's the blessing God has given us with eyes to see. So don't miss an opportunity when you see one. I, I mentioned this the other night, and I'm, I'm going to start doing it. I'm going to start putting my extra gas cans back on my Jeep. And I'm starting to carry extra food, like jerky and dried fruit. Because there's people now that I'm already seeing them, and I thought I would, but I, I'm starting to see people that just are literally on the edge now. They don't have enough money for gas, and they're making the choices of gas and food. I saw some the other day, and I couldn't get to them before they left the, the where I was at. But I think if we put this in our hearts and we seek out that ability to help in a direct way like that, not money, Maybe buy somebody a tank of gas. Maybe fill somebody's tank with two and a two, couple gallons from a gas tank or something that you have in the car. Maybe give them some food that they might need. I think we're getting into the real touch of where we start to touch hearts and souls. So just throwing that out there for some consideration. We need to continue to support each other, but we also need to reach out and not to forget that. The devil's working overtime right now to try to cause disruption, pain, separation, agony, frustration, anxiety, fear. 
And we know that with that relationship with Jesus, he doesn't have a chance to get near us. But always remember, and I think we all have to remember, myself included, is just how powerful it is to reach out and to listen and to let what is there be shown so that we see it clearly and not be confused or be deceived because this is a world of deception and sometimes the greatest glory, greatest joy sits under a rough texture. And when we peel that back, we can find some pretty amazing opportunities. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us, and he will never forsake us. And those prayers that we have right now, I would just encourage everybody to be praying for not just healing, but the opportunity to heal. We have been given that authority, and I think we need to claim it. And in the end, God will always win, but we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. I'll see you tomorrow afternoon for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. All this time we had to prove that we could stand here too. All the nights been pushing through, fight for all we had to lose. Reaching out for something to pull us up to level ground. Oh, I can see it now. I can see it now.
pushing through somehow. Oh, you're an island when the world is too loud. When the seasons change, I know the space between us will stay the same. Resting on this faith, when your silence is called far away. Star.